challenge to the word of God. Only in the footsteps of God will he proceed. Well, let me be another person to say welcome. Okay, we're so happy that you're here today. And we are continuing a series that we started last week called The Great Hunt, The Quest for God's Will. And what we agreed last week is that video is a perfect picture of how so many of us think about the will of God, isn't it? That we have this idea in our head that God's will is this mysterious like secret holy grail that like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade that you have to jump through hurdles to find and decipher secret codes. And we have this idea of God's will as like a secret club where only the elite of the elite get into and there's like a special handshake to get in and you have to say special prayers and you have to be able to know, recite certain things. And only those elite people know the will of God. But the rest of us commoners will never know the will of God, right? Because we're just normal people and we got normal problems in life. And is it possible that me and you normal people can really know God's will and say, I know what God's will is for my life, for every aspect of my life? Well, we agreed last week is that, like I said last week, I'll say this every week of the series, is that God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. And I can say that at any parent out there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because as a father... I have a will for my children, and my child may desire to know it, but believe me, I desire much, much, much more that he or she would know what my will is for them. That's why I don't even call it my will. I say it's my dream for them, and I got a dream. I got an opinion on every aspect of my kid's life. Ask me how you want your son's life to look like his relationships. I'll tell you exactly how I want my son's relationships. I want his friends to look a certain way. I want his, his marriage, future marriage, like I have a plan for that. If he would ask my opinion, I'd give him my opinion. Ask me about what I want his for career. I got an opinion about his career. Ask me what I want for his character development. I got a will for every aspect of my child's life. The hard part isn't me having a will. The hard part is him wanting to know what that will is. And that's why we said last week, the three mistakes that we commonly do, this is the challenge of God's will, is we don't, we don't ask, we don't listen, we don't trust. The challenge of my son to know my will is not whether or not I got one. The challenge is whether or not he will ask, he will listen, and then he will trust. And that's what we spoke about last week. And if he does, if I can convince him to do those three things, him or her, convince them to do those three things, then he will discover a great reward at the end. Because like it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, same true for me as a father, same as God as a father. He, God, is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to believe this verse. And you have to believe this verse with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That believe that there is something out there called God's will. And God is not playing a game of hide and seek. God is not hiding it from me. God is desiring to give it to me. And if I seek him with all my heart and I'm diligent in how I search for him, I got to believe that there's a reward at the end of the tunnel and something good if I will do my part. Said another way, what I want to do here in this series, I want to demystify this concept of the will of God. Okay. And the will of God is not some like like some uh, Dion Warwick psychic friends hotline, something like that, okay? The will of God is a relationship. 
And as much as I have a relationship with my father, and I go to my father, and I'm asking my father, and I'm listening to my father, and I'm trusting my father, I will understand and I will know the will of God. Because what we agreed last week is, I don't need the will of God for this decision. All right? I have a decision in front of me. I don't need the will of God for that decision. I don't need the will of God to know which job to take if I don't know the process to discover his will and what to do when I take that job. I don't need his will to tell me marry this girl or marry that girl unless I have a process to know his will what to do once I've married her. Because the will of God is not a gimmick. It's not a shortcut. It's not a trick. The will of God is an ongoing process. And I need God's will, not just for the next decision this week. I need God's will for as many years as he gives me on this earth. If I'm alive 50, 60, 70 years, man, I need God's will for all that. No shortcuts to God's will. It's about a relationship, not about a trick. Last week, we kind of gave a, a, like a paradigm or a context to understand God's will. And I gave you the, the context of a field goal, but then I changed it midway because I got a better paradigm in mind. And we don't really want to bring up football today just because our team, every time we think about who's in the Super Bowl, we just feel more depressed about ourselves. So we're going to go soccer. All right, and this is what we talked about last week is that God's will is like a soccer field. And there's three components. Show me that you pay attention to what I talked about last week. So help me out here. Show me. I want you to shout this out. The first part of God's will is the? <laughs> the first part of God's will is the? Sovereign will of God. Okay, and we said the sovereign will of God is like the field itself. Nothing takes place outside the sovereign will of God. If God doesn't allow it, then it ain't, ain't going to happen. But just because God allows it doesn't mean it's what he desires. And then we said the second half of the will of God is this half of the field. And that part is called the moral will of God. Okay, I heard it out there. The moral will of God. And we said God allows certain things to take place in this universe. But that doesn't mean that he wants everything to take place. God has a moral will, which is thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt honor thy father and mother, thou shalt forgive 70 times, 7 times, love your neighbor, love your enemy, turn the other cheek. The scripture is full of God's will for our life. So someone says, I don't know God's will. Go read your Bible, man. Because I'm telling you, 90% of God's will is written in the scripture for you. But that's not all of it. Because what we want to do is we want to get to the goal is the personal will of God. That's when usually when people say, I want to know God's will for my life, they're referring to the goal, the personal will, the specifics. And yes, God has a specific goal for my life, but I cannot know the specific goal outside of the moral will and the sovereign will of God. And if you are trying to take a shortcut, that you are not paying attention, we said the sovereign will of God, we must understand it and accept it. Okay, and we do that through reflection, do that through guidance. If I am not understanding what God is doing in this world. And then number two, the moral will of God, we know it by obeying it. If I'm not obeying the moral will of God, then I will never know the personal will of God. So you can just stop right now. If you are walking, this is a typical example. Father Anthony, you know, I'm here, I'm new to the area, I'm young, I'm single, I want to end that. I want to know who to marry. Okay. Are you, like, tell me about yourself. I don't read the Bible. I don't pray. I don't obey nothing. But I want God to tell me who I'm going to marry. Okay. Like, why you ask me then? You just, just call, just do the, the, the horoscope or the Chinese fortune cookie. Like, you got equal luck right there. What am I going to tell you? Because you cannot know God's will, personal will, outside of his moral will and his sovereign will. That's what we talked about last week. Today... We are going to talk about, as promised last week, last week was the what not to do, why we don't find it, and why we're usually outside of the field of God's goal. Today we're going to talk about finding God's will. But here's what I want to do before we start. Again, I want to draw you another picture today because it's important that we understand things in the right frame of mind. The picture today that is going to guide us along is signposts or road markers on a long, windy road. Because the worst thing that I'm going to do for you today, if I were to do this, it would be the worst thing ever, is I make God's will into a formula. God's will is not a formula. Again, with the Father and the Son, there's no formula. But what God's will is, is if you look into Scripture and you look in experience of your own life and the lives of other believers, you see that generally when God gives us his personal will, again, we got the sovereign and the moral. I'm, I'm, that's the assumption. I'm walking in this. When God is going to give me that personal will, usually there's certain markers that I'll pass along the way that tell me that I'm getting closer. The markers are not the end-all, be-all, because, again, it's not a formula. But it's exactly like I would say to you that I want to get to Florida. I want to drive to Florida. So I would say, in general, you need to go south. And at some point in time, you need to pass North Carolina. 
You need to pass South Carolina, and you need to pass Georgia. If you see West Virginia, not good. If you see Delaware, not good. If you see something, Missouri, Indiana, something like that, not good. Those are markers that you are on the wrong road. But I tell you what, you've been on this road for a while, and you see North Carolina. That's a good sign. It doesn't mean you're going to figure it out, but that's a good sign. And then all of a sudden you see South Carolina. Hey, that's a really good sign too. And then you see Georgia. Hey, I'm getting close to finding the will of God. That's how we're going to approach it today. We're talking about four phases that I want to call it of God revealing his will to us and what God wants us to do. Everything I'm talking about applies to everything in life. I don't want you to think about this as a one-time decision. If you look at it as a one-time decision, you're really watering down God's will to something that it was not meant to be. This is how God reveals his perfect will to us, his children, in life. Usually takes us through four phases. And it's usually in this order. Not necessarily, but usually in this order. In the first phase, oops, before we get to the first phase. Oh, yeah, what we're going to do? Sorry. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage from the book of Acts, chapter 20. And the book of Acts, chapter 20, is a speech given by St. Paul to his his disciples in a city called Ephesus. A little context. St. Paul, after he became Christian, remember he was not a Christian. We talked about him at length. He was not a Christian for so many years. He persecuted Christians. He hated Christians. And then all of a sudden he became a Christian. And now he turned the same zeal to persecute Christianity, same zeal to preach Christianity. Same zeal, just different goal. All right? He thought his goal was, I love God so much that I'm going to kill all these Christians. And then God said, no, I, I, I'm a Christian too. So God, he said, oh, okay, you're a Christian too. So he said, okay, I'm going to preach Christianity. All right? And then what he would do, he went all around the world. And at one point in time, he went to a city called Ephesus. He spent about a year and a half in that city. And he grew in a very deep relationship with those Ephesians. After a year and a half, St. Paul says, it's God's will for me to go. And we're going to read that speech and try to break it down to understand how this man of God was able to decipher and discern God's will so clearly for him. Pick it up in Acts 20, verse 18. He gathered all the people of elders of the church in Ephesus and says this, You know that from the first day that I came to Asia, and what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He's setting it up in kind of a emotional kind of way, isn't he? He's saying like, y'all know I've been here and I, and I bled and sweat and tears for y'all. And I've given everything I got. And there was a, a very near and dear relationship that St. Paul had with these people in Ephesus. Like he, he really grew fond of them. They became very, very close to one another. But now he's saying, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. And you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop and he, for him to say, but now, and that's what happens in the next verse. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. Mental note, bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. We'll see what that means. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. St. Paul, in this passage, says, I love you guys. And I'm, I'm so, I'm enjoying being with you guys so much. And God is really being glorified. But now it's God's will for me to go to Jerusalem. To die. And to be killed. Here's what I want to ask St. Paul. We're not trying to get into the technicality of why, of why he gets killed and all that stuff. I want to ask this to St. Paul. How are you so sure that God wants you to do that? Like he seems very sure. And it seems like a backwards thinking. Like logic says, the ministry is flourishing here. Why are you leaving? You should be staying. You should be bringing other people from Jerusalem here. Because in Jerusalem, they're just killing people like you. You should be bringing them all here. The ministry is flourishing. Why are you leaving? But St. Paul spoke with conviction, says, God wants me to leave. This is how we're going to discern the will of God. These five factors. All right, we're going to go through that passage from St. Paul, and we see that the first phase of God's will is the phase of inspiration. The phase of inspiration. And that was that expression that opened up the passage where he said, See, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. What does it mean when he says, I go bound in the Spirit? The expression 
like he's drawing a picture, okay, with his words. He was he's drawing a picture for them. I go bound. Bound means like handcuffed or chained. This is probably a better picture. I go bound with no choices, with no decision making. I am bound in the spirit, not in the flesh. I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem. He's basically saying, I don't know why, but God is telling me to go. And I may not want to go or I may want to go. It really makes no difference because I'm a prisoner. I'm someone who's bound. I'm not making a choice on my own. God is telling me to do it. And there's nothing I can do about it. That sounds kind of weird. If I tell you the beginning phase of knowing God's will is a bound in the spirit inspirational moment, you would say, that's kind of creepy. Like, what does that mean? Oh, I know what that means. Like, if you want to be cynical, here's a good point to be cynical on. This is people who just make up God's will and just say whatever they want to say and just say, God made me do it. Like when we first got married, okay, I told Marianne, no, God wants me to watch football on Sundays because that's why he put it on Sunday. That's his day off too. You know what I mean? Like, God put it that way. God wants me to do it. Okay, or some people use this as an excuse to do crazy things. No, God wants me to leave my wife to be with the one I love. Okay, we can use God's will. Like this gives us, it seems like, an excuse to do whatever it is they want. But we already agreed in the beginning last time that God's personal will is never outside of his moral or sovereign will. So God's personal will will never be leave my wife because God's will is no divorce. That's God's will. So it can never be God's will. It can never be God's will to lie to my boss because God's will is thou shalt not lie. So Anyone who tries to misinterpret it, that's what I'm saying, is you have to have the foundation. But within there, sometimes God does tell us, not written in the sky, might not be in the scripture, but God does inside our spirit tell us, I want you to do this. I am telling you, give some examples. I'm in this relationship, and I'm just not feeling it. Something is just not sitting right with it. Like, I know I should, and there's nothing really wrong, but I'm just not feeling it. Or I'm in this job right now, and I'm, like, successful, but I just know God has something bigger, something beyond this. It's just a nudge inside me. Or parents, there's just something not right about my kid. Like, my kid is saying everything's okay, and I asked him a thousand times, a thousand times he said it's okay, but something is not right. There's just a nudge inside our spirit, and that's that first phase of God revealing his will. You say that's weird. I say not to us it's not weird because we believe that, as it says in John 14, 16, that there is somebody who lives inside of us, and that person is God. Jesus said this. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, a helper that will abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and I, he will be with you. It shouldn't be weird to us to say God spoke this to me, and I feel God telling me that. You know why? Because we believe that God lives inside of us. And we believe that there are times that I may be comfortable in a situation, but God is not comfortable in a situation. That I may be okay with this, but the Holy Spirit inside me is like, no, nah, something's not right. And he's nudging. And he's, he's elbowing me like this. And I'm like, keep it quiet. And I just feel like something is not right in this situation. That's how God oftentimes reveals his will. And we should not be afraid of that, nor should we feel that's a foreign concept to us. Because, as I said, is that the relationship with God it's not about rules and formulas. Just like a father with his son. It's not about what you can and can't do only. It's about a father with his children and his dream for them. Let me give you an example to make this, make this a little bit more clear. Because I know this is a, a, a difficult concept. I'm going to go back to the year 1998. I'm going to try to give some examples. Okay, personal ones. Okay, to so try to make it real and personal. But Eddie, everyone's got different examples. So it doesn't have to be like me, but I just speak for me. The year was 1998. I had just graduated college, and I was about to begin a job. And uh, back then, it was like the IT stuff, okay? So I was an IT guy. And back then, okay, they were just giving away jobs. Like, I had a job from, like, November, okay? And I, I was not the most qualified person, and, 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 and good salary and all this kind of stuff. Back then, they were hiring people left and right. They didn't, they didn't care, okay? I got me a good job, and something inside me, and to this day, I don't even know what it is. I look back, and I don't know what it is. Something inside me told me to delay the start of that job, graduate in May, everyone else start in June. Something told me to graduate in May and push the job till September and go spend this summer and do something special. I didn't know what I was going to do, but something inside me said do it. I, I don't know why I did it. This is very foreign to my very logical, analytical, everything got a reason. I did that. I said I want to start in September. That summer, what did I do? I connected with a bishop in the Coptic church who serves in Africa. And at this time, there wasn't really like Africa trips going, Okay, mission trips. But there had been one that just happened in 1997 in that summer of a few people. 
And God arranged it that I happened to meet those people one time when I was traveling. I don't even remember where I was. I met those people, and they said they went on a mission trip in 1997 to Africa, and they said it was really a good experience. And that's it. They didn't say anything like life-changing, nothing like that. Something inside me said, I'm going to go to Africa. I don't even know why. I didn't even know the bishop. I don't know, I don't know nothing. I said, I'm going to go. I went all by myself, but I found there was a group of people from Los Angeles. I connected with that group of people from Los Angeles. Anyway, long story short, I spent five weeks in Africa that summer. I, before that Africa trip, I didn't know nothing in the Bible. I know nothing about preaching. I know nothing about nothing. I spent five weeks there in that summer. And all I can say is, when I came back, the world I came back to may have been the same, but I was not the same. There was something inside me that said, after what you've seen and after what you experienced, you can't go and live a nine-to-five life. Can't. And I didn't say that to anybody, and I didn't, like, I didn't quit my job, which I hadn't even started yet, because that's crazy. But inside me, after what I had seen, what I experienced, I knew that I was not going to live a nine-to-five life. I just knew that because something inside me was not comfortable with just making money and just being a consultant and all that kind of stuff. And if you all remember last week, I kind of shared about how when I became a priest and my, when me and Marianne were talking, I said, the worst thing for me would be a consultant. The worst thing for me would be to be a consultant for the rest of my life. And I don't say that to mean that working is bad. And I don't say that to mean that like, not, like everyone's got to be a priest. I don't believe that at all. But I knew for me, that I knew for me that God wanted more than that. And that as I was there, God knew that I was not going to be fulfilled just doing programming nine to five. And God wanted something bigger for me. And it was just a matter of time before he fulfilled it. But you see how it just starts with a, just something. And I couldn't even put words around it. But eventually God made it clear. Where's this coming from, from scripture? Let me give you another picture for you. In Job chapter 32, verse 18, Job says, I'm full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside, I am like a bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. Y'all may not relate to my Africa example, but you can relate to this example. Here's a can of soda, or a bottle of soda, right? The Bible says that God's word inside us, God's spirit inside us, is like bottled up wine, ready to burst. Couldn't bring wine up here because we're a PG-13 group up here, okay? But we'll go with soda cans. Inside you, the Holy Spirit dwells. And the Holy Spirit is like the bubbles. The bubbles inside the soda can is like the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes you look at this and you say, no bubbles. My life has no bubbles. I don't feel the Holy Spirit doing nothing. I don't see it. I don't, no inspiration. Ready, Holy Spirit, inspire. Not nothing. How do you get bubbles inside here? How if I did it like this? See some bubbles? Some bubbles. How do I keep shaking it up? The more and more I shake this up, especially if I, right? Then what happens? Bubbles. And if I more and more and more and more, and I more and more and more and more, then I open this bad boy. We're all going to feel the bubbles. I want to tell you this God shakes us up when we leave our comfort zone. Some of you say there's no bubbles in my life, no inspiration in my life, no leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. No, where I say I'm bound in the Spirit. You know what I say to you? You want God to get some bubbles? Shake it up. What I mean shake it up. How God shakes up is when you step, like I did in Africa, I stepped outside my comfort zone. If I'd have just gone to be a consultant, and again, I'm not saying being a consultant is bad. Half the people in this room are consultants. I'd be killed if I said being a consultant is bad, okay? We don't know what they do, but we know what, what that they are, okay? I'm not saying it's bad, but what I'm saying is if I want God to nudge and God to work and I want stuff to happen in my life, I got to step outside of that consulting bubble and go beyond that. And like I said, for me, it was go to Africa. For some of us, some of us need to step outside, maybe not the big shake, but maybe need to get up 10 minutes early, 20 minutes early and spend some time in God's word and spend a little bit of time every day doing like this, shake it up, let God speak to you. Some of us need, instead of hanging out every night or watch TV every night, shut that TV off, pick up a good spiritual book, and let God shake you up a little bit. Some of us need to go on a mission trip. Why not? Some of us need to do some community service. Some of us need to vo start volunteering in the church and not just be complacent. Some of us need a little shake-up. Because you know when you're drinking that soda and it's flat, it's not nice. But when it's, it's perfect. You know the worst thing in life I discovered? Being flat is not the end of the world. We all go flat at sometimes. You know what's the end of the world? What's the worst thing? Is drinking the flat and saying, mmm, 
It's the best it gets around here. <laughs> the worst is to be content flat. We all go flat. Okay, we all do. We all need a little shake up every now and then. I, I'm, I'm okay that every now and then I go flat. That's not the end of the world. It happens to all of us. But the worst thing is if you're content, not having inspiration and bound in the spirit moments. First phase, inspiration. God shakes. God throws a thought at you. I always say inspiration, if you want to give a definition of what inspiration is, inspiration, don't make it too spiritual. It's a thought from God. Okay, God throws a thought at you. Hey, why not do this? Hey, why not change job to this? Hey, why not end this? God throws a thought at you. As soon as you get the thought from God, then instantly someone else is going to respond with a thought. And that second thought is going to be a thought from ourselves. That's a thought of hesitation. hesitation because usually God's thoughts are big and God's thoughts are kind of crazy sometimes and the second God gives us that thought there's going to be my human reaction of uh uh I don't know about this you step out of your comfort zone you go out there and let God shake you up you respond and say yes logic would say God will then make it easy for us by giving us all the details. But what we discover, as St. Paul said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. It seems backwards, but trust me on this one. Trust me on this one. The biggest problem that we have with understanding the will of God is what I'm about to say next. The number one problem that people, the myth or the misconception that people have with knowing God's will is what I'm about to say right now is knowing God's will doesn't mean knowing all the steps. It only means knowing the next one. Someone says, I know God's will for my life. It does not mean that they know everything God wants them to do. It just means they know the next step. doesn't mean they know all the steps. There's no such thing as knowing all the steps. And that's what St. Paul said. I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem to do what? I don't know, but I know I'm supposed to take this one step. And then when I get to that one step, God can reveal the next step. Knowing God's will for my life for my career, for my relationships, does not mean knowing all the steps. It just simply means knowing the next one. Give you another story. So Y'all like stories. Now I'm fast forward to year 2000. This time I'm a single young buck. Okay, but that's about to end. Because God really puts it in my heart to ask out my wife, Marianne. She's not my wife at the time, obviously. Okay, ask her out. Now let me tell you this, okay? And neither my wife nor my mom is here today, so I can tell this story in its full detail, because they're both characters in the story. We grew up, like my parents and Marianne's parents are like always close. All right? and, and me and Marianne are only, our birthdays are like 11 days, 13 days apart. So we're like, we always like grew up, our parents were close, but me and Marianne were never close, okay? We, me and Marianne were never friends, okay? I was, we were like boys and they were girls, they would like come over, and then like we would do our best to torture her and her sister when they came over. Like, make them watch wrestling, okay? And make them watch, like, play with the sports stuff. Like, they wanted to, like, do anything else. We made them, like, we tortured them, okay? Because that's just how boys are when you're young. My mom, ever since probably I was eight years old, nine years old, something like that. Marianne, that's who you're going to marry. And anyone better than Marianne. And from, like, from dating age in the Egyptian culture is about eight or nine, okay? <laughs> that's when they start to get ready for marriage, right? From that age, my mom was putting in my head, Marianne, 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 Marianne. I know I'm better than Marianne. So me, as a young male mind, male with a strong head, said, I'm never going to marry Marianne. I marry everyone and their mother before I marry Marianne. Because there's no way I'm going to take advice, dating advice from my mom. Okay? There's just no way that's going to happen. And I, say, I tell, tell, my, like, tell Marianne that my mom delayed our relationship probably by three or four years. Okay? But it was from God. I did my best to put Marianne to the back, okay, because I want to listen to my mom. But then God, as God does, nudges. And God says, and forgive me, I don't mean this insulting anyone else. He said, is there a better girl in the world than Marianne? He says, forget about your mom. But is there a better human being on this planet than Marianne? And I said, no. He said, is there a better person that will take you where I want you to go and where you want to go than that lady? And I said, no. God was nudging, nudging, very, 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 very clear. I said, Marianne. So I didn't tell my mom, of course, okay, and I asked out Marianne. Me and Marianne started dating in November of 2000. About a month into the relationship, everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. We're so happy. Like, life is the best. Everything's the best. 
all of a sudden, I'm talking to my spiritual father, Father Beshoy, and he called me at work, asked about something that had nothing to do with nothing. And he said, hey, by the way, how things going with Marianne? I said, things are great. He said, are y'all progressing? I said, yeah. He said, when's engagement? I flipped out. <laughs> I flipped out. I flipped out. And I'm like, why? Why you ask that? He's like, no, I was just asking. I'm like, did she say something? Did her mother say something? Or did her father say something? Like, why? What's going on? And he, and I, he's, he's just like, no, no, relax. Take it easy. Like, see you later. Like, I called Marianne flipping out. And I said, we need to meet today because I want to talk about something. And we met at, at our, our special place when we wanted to discuss, like, special matters. McDonald's. <laughs> and, and not only met at McDonald's, but we didn't order. Okay, that's what we had at McDonald's that we wouldn't order. Sat in the corner right there. And I basically told her, I'm like, look, Marianne, like, you're the best, but I'm really scared, and I don't know, and all this stuff. And she's like, what happened? And I told her this conversation. She's like, no, no, take your, take your time. Ain't no rush, no nothing, no, like, take your time. Like, there's no pressure or anything like that. I calmed down. But God didn't. God inside me. I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I prayed about it. That night, like, we were on our way to church, like, for liturgy that day. That's why we didn't eat. So we prayed the liturgy together, and we did whatever. And then afterwards, we went out again. Taco Bell this time. <laughs> but this time we did order, okay, because we were hungry. And after praying that liturgy, I felt God telling me this. I wanted, like what I'm telling God is, God, I love this girl and I want to marry her, but I don't know. I don't know a lot of things about her. And every one of those things was true. I didn't know this, I didn't know this, I didn't know this. But God said, but I'm in it. And as long as you know that I'm in this relationship, that's all you need to know. That's why, single people, if you've ever come to me for, for advice, if you come to me with your top 17 things I'm looking for in a bride, top 17 things I'm looking for in a husband, I laugh at that list and I say, throw that list away. I need to know one thing. Is God in it or not in it? Because you may have these 17 criteria, and if God is not in it, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And I'm telling you, I could have come up with a list of 17 things I was looking for in a wife, and I was probably undecided on 15 out of those things with Marianne. But I knew number one at the top, God is saying, Go. And if God is saying, go, I don't know where he's going to take me. But as long as he's with me, we'll be okay. And I stand here today, uh, 14 years into marriage, happy as could be. Everything is great. Lots of things I didn't know. Lots of things that were surprises. Okay, and married people will agree with me on this one. All right, that, that when the single people come and say, how do I know she won't change? She will. Okay, I tell you she will. They all do. Okay, but so do we. Okay, and that's not a bad thing. Like, you don't want to marry who she was. I want to be with her who she is, okay? So that's, don't, don't, don't get stuck on that one right there. <laughs> Bottom line is this, is that when God reveals his will, he doesn't reveal all the steps, just the next step. How do you feel about that? I tell you, God gives you something big, and you say, okay, God, I want to accept it. Therefore, like logic says, if God wants me to accept it, give me the details, that's what we want. Say, okay, God, if you tell me, if you reassure me of what she's going to be like and what she's going to do and, and like different things, if you assure me of all these different things and what our life is going to look like, then it'll be easy for me to accept it, right? Will it be easier to accept it if I knew the details? A wise man once said in a famous movie, you know why? You say, you want the details? I say, you can't handle the details. <laughs> and I promise you this. That the reason God doesn't give us all the steps, because he knows that we cannot handle it. Go through the history of any great man or woman of God and see when God puts something big in front of him and how he specifically does not tell him the details. You know why? Because they couldn't handle it. Moses, you're going to free my people from Egypt, and you are going to lead my people in the promised land. Can you do it? Yes, God, let's do it. You know what he didn't tell him? How are you going to do it? You're going to stand in front of Pharaoh, the scariest guy in the world. He's going to threaten to kill your life. Now you're going to stand 40 years in the wilderness. You're going to be 40 years in the wilderness, and your people are going to hate you. They're going to try to kill you, not have any food, not have any drink. And then at the end of 40 years of faithfulness, you're not going to even get inside the promised land. <laughs> you think Moses would have taken it if God told him the details? Daniel, you're going to be a great man of God, but you're going to get nice and cuddly with some lions one day. <laughs> Three holy youth. You guys are going to stand up and be a great sign, a monument of how faithful I am to all the nations. But you think it's hot in Florida? Wait till what I show you is going to happen to you guys. God doesn't give us the details because we can't handle the details. And that's the best thing that he ever does. Look at this passage from a man of God who found his will. 1 Corinthians 16. Don't worry about what it says. All I want you to see in here is St. Paul was a man who we can agree found God's will. He found the goal. Agree? Watch how much uncertainty St. Paul talks about in this one small passage. 
Now I will come to you, speaking to the people in Corinth, when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain. Like it may be I'll remain. Maybe that I will go. Or maybe even spend the winter with you. I don't really have an idea. It's kind of uncertain. I know I'm supposed to go, but I don't know what's going to happen when I get there. That you may send me on my journey. And where is your journey going? Wherever. Like I may come. I may leave. I may spend a winter. I may spend a summer. And then I may go. Where? Wherever. I don't really know. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You see what St. Paul, a man who found the goal, says a lot of things I don't know. I know God wants me to leave. I don't know where. I don't know how long. I don't want to come back. I don't know what to do. All I know is I'm bound in the spirit. I'm inspired by God. And my natural hesitation, I'm fighting through there trusting in God. That last verse, though, shows us the third phase. When he talks about a great and effective door has opened, but there are many adversaries. We go through the inspiration. God gives us a thought. As soon as God gives me a thought, my own brain comes with a thought, and that's the hesitation phase. Someone else got to get in on the action of giving me some thoughts, and that's our enemy, the devil. That third phase is temptation. You mark this on your calendar. You write it down. You are going to do something according to God's will, something great for God, and you are going to trust him, and you don't know where you're going to go, but you're going to walk in faith. You mark it down. Your enemy is going to tempt you to quit and to not continue on that path. Any great journey in life has a beginning, has a middle, and has an end. The beginning is the inspiration phase. God wants me to do this. God wants me to, to, to start a new job. God wants me to, to, to take on this new task. God wants me to own my own business. God wants me to, and that's a great phase. And then in the end, if I find the will of God, great stuff. And that's going to be the fourth phase we'll talk about in a second. But this middle phase, this is a tough phase. Where I hesitate, then I fight through, and then I'm done fighting through, and I say, okay, I took the step of faith. And what's waiting for me on the side of step of faith is an enemy try to trip me up and to try to take me down. St. Paul says it this way. He says, I'm not knowing the things that will happen to me when I get there, except there's one thing I know. There's one thing. Okay, let's see what that says. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying, what do you think the Holy Spirit's saying? Saying that great joy and great blessing and great prosperity is waiting for you. You don't know what's there, but I promise you there's going to be a great celebration a great and easy life, right? What's waiting for me, St. Paul, on the other side? That chains and tribulations await me. Yikes is the right answer. The Holy Spirit did not tell me anything that's going to happen in Jerusalem except one thing, problems. Hey, I got a great idea. God's will for you is to do this, do this, do this. Okay, what am I going to get? Problems. Woo! Lots of them. Chains and tribulations await me. Look, we saw in the last series, for those who were here in the waiting room, that just because I'm facing difficulty doesn't mean God's will is not there. We, that, that was the entire last series we talked about that, so I don't want to get into that. But what we agreed is that men and women of God, doing God's will and being fought and being tempted and adversaries and attacks, those two go together. Because we think in our mind that when I'm doing God's will, God should protect me from all those adversaries. And that is simply not the case of the, of the Bible. That is not the teaching of, of the scriptures. It is that when you are doing God's will, in fact, it's the opposite. When you are doing nothing, that's when the devil leaves you alone. But when you are doing something positive, you are trying to get somewhere. And St. Paul says, God is telling me to go to Jerusalem. you got to expect people going to stick their foot out and try to trip you up. People are going to be waiting there to knock you down. And I'm telling you that in this life, you want to do something according to God's will, something great for God. You want to have that relationship. Like I said, that marriage that God wants, that God-honoring marriage, that God-honoring family life. You want to honor God with your career and take that step. You want to do those things. You've got to expect people are going to be there, try to trip you up along the way. A couple of verses here. Matthew 7, 14. We saw in the last series that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Find me one great who didn't endure a hard life. Like I said, Moses, be great, but you got to fight Pharaoh the rest of your life. David, I'm going to anoint you king over all my people, but the old king, you're not going to be very happy when he's going to chase you around and try to kill you. Joseph, you're going to rule over your brothers, but first they're going to throw you in a pit and leave you for dead. This is how the life of God is. Difficult is the way. And narrow is the path. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, next verse. 
says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Let me tell you how this works. How so many times I've seen it, I could write a book about this very one principle. Someone comes, let's say someone is living a very worldly life, very materialistic, career, cutthroat, like doesn't care about God, doesn't care about church, just wants to advance in his career, and he's Mr. Career Guy. And then all of a sudden, something touches him, and he wants to, like, be more generous. He wants to give God his time, give God his money. He doesn't want to care about his career. He wants to focus more, like, I don't need that promotion. I'm content with what I got. I want to enjoy what I have. You want to know what's going to happen? I promise you it's going to happen. I promise you. A, he's either going to have a very, very expensive thing break in his house and be very, very tempted to go back to being cutthroat at work to get that promotion. Or B, he's going to have some problem where his job's going to be in jeopardy or his wife's going to get laid off or some kind of disaster is going to happen to him financially. Why? To get him to go back on what he promised. You say, me and my husband... We're not doing things right. We want to get things right. We want to be godly example for our children. We want to pray together. We want to be close. We want to have vulnerability. We want to do all these things. You know what's going to happen next night? Biggest fight ever. Guaranteed. Over absolutely nothing. Biggest fight ever is going to happen. Why? Because the devil is not going to just stand there. Again, think of the soccer goal. Here I am, and I'm going towards the goal. And what's the defense do? Good job. We should go. That defense not going to encourage me. The defense not going to make the path clear for me. He's going to try to take me down. And he cheats, and he fights dirty. And you have to expect that. The temptation will be, I quit. I tried, I can't do it. I tried to live godly, I can't. I tried to leave this bad relationship, I can't. I tried to start prayer routine. I tried to be consistent in church. How many times someone says, I want to come to church every Sunday. I've been skipping church, I want to come to church every Sunday. Promise you, business trip right away. Guarantee. Two-week business trip to make sure that you don't keep your promise. Guarantee. The temptation is going to be, it's too hard. I tried. I did my best. Quit. But you know what? You know why God allows these adversaries? Why does God allow this phase of temptation? Because the principle is this. That God builds our faith in the valley, not on the mountain. Our goal is to get to the mountain. But that's not where we become strong. We become strong in the valley as we climb up to the top of the mountain. There's a song on the radio, used to be as an older song, which said that I must walk through the valley to stand upon the mountain of God. That's a beautiful picture. I must walk through the valley to stand upon the mountain of God. King David said it a little bit differently. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. This is what God wants to build inside of us. And it's not going to be easy. But if you are facing resistance now, I promise you, God put that inspiration in your heart. And you struggled. I think we've got the picture right here. God put that inspiration in your heart. And it was a struggle for you. And I don't know if I can. It's going to be difficult. I don't know what's going to promise. But I take that step of faith. And as soon as I take that step of faith, despite the hesitation, enemies and attack me and trip me and push me down. And everything's getting me to say, quit. Don't do it no more. And my friend's saying, you can't, it's too much, and it's too difficult. And everything around me say it's too much, and it's temptation. You fight through there, and you will reach the fourth phase, which is relaxation. Relaxation's not the best word, but I just wanted an Asian word, okay? What I want to say is the reward. I want to say is the ce celebration could have been a good one. Actually, a celebration should have been good, okay? Right, celebration or relaxation, either one. Something very, very positive is what I want to say. Relaxation is good, though. I'll tell you what, okay? We'll make it work. Because I'll tell you the best place to be in life. You want to know the best place to be? I always, again, you may have heard me tell this before. If you come to me for spiritual advice. I always want to be right here. Y'all know what this is? In my mind, I have this picture of here's God's will for my life. Here's God's will. Like, this is God's will. And I want to be right there. Because you know what? When I'm right there, I don't care what anyone says to me. I don't care whatever happens to me in life. If I know that I am right there, if I know right there in the middle of God's will is put my head down and run through this wall, man, you see me, that doesn't matter to me. But when I'm here or here or here or unsure, 
that's when you see a very weak Father Anthony in front of you who couldn't run through a piece of paper if it was in front of him. Look at St. Paul, <clears throat> how he knew it was the will of God. Look at the result. He, he, inspiration, hesitation, temptation, and then watch the relaxation. He says, none of these things move me. None of these things is what? None of these things that I'm going, bound in the spirit, not knowing what awaits me, but only thing that promises chains and tribulations, and I'm probably going to lose my life. But you know what? That doesn't move me. That doesn't stress me out. We're stressed out on his behalf. He's not stressed out. Nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. St. Paul's saying, I know where I fit, man. He's saying, I'm here. Y'all are scared for me. I'm here. You worried about me? I, 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 someone might hit me. Someone might punch me. Someone put me in jail. Man, I'm here. As long as I'm here, I don't care. None of that stuff matters to me. I don't count my life dear to myself. I'm here. And I just want you, just like, just dream here with me. I know this is a very, very far place that we can imagine. But imagine the confidence that you would have knowing that where you are right now is 100% where God wants you to be. That in my career, that I'm 100% doing the will of God. That in my relationship, I'm 100% doing the will of God. That in my personal character development, I'm right where God wants me to be. And I don't care whatever people say. I don't care if I have problems. I don't care if my boss says, you got problems here, you're not doing. If I'm where God wants me to be, man, I don't care. I want to get to that place where I don't care. Don't you? Because the stress of the confusion, <clears throat> that's not what we want. That's not what God wants for us. God does not want his children. I do not want my children always stressed out about should I do this or should I do this? Should I take this class or take this class? Should I go to this boy's birthday party or this boy's birthday party? I do not want my kids always stressed out. When my kids know what I want and they trust me, and they're inside my, they are, and that's where we need to be. Here's the verse that summarized that to me. Man, if God is for us, who can be against us? Man, I need to sing this song. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I will tell you not the full story. I'll just tell you one, I'll just tell you the highlight of one story, and it'll just be real quick. For anyone who has gone through our membership program here at STSA, Anyone who has gone through the membership program here at STSA has heard me tell the story of when this church started. And I told y'all before, I don't tell that story in church on Sunday. That's a very, very special story to me. It's a kind of a private story, but it's private for all of us church members. But I'm not, I mean, I don't like to share it. There's something very personal to me. And in it, I tell the story, what I call the miracle of STSA and about what God did with me personally in my life. Me personally, how God's me, the biggest cynic in the room, the most skeptical person of miracles and signs and all these kinds of nonsense that people make up, I'm the most cynical person in the room. And I tell the story of what God did with me when God made it clear. And God said to me clearly, this is my will to start this church. And I want you to do this because many, many, many good things will happen through it. And if you heard me tell that story, that's the epitome of what I'm talking about. Because when I know, you don't got a place to rent, Father Anthony. That's all right, I know I'm here. You ain't got no money. That's okay, I know I'm here. You ain't got no income. That's okay, I know I'm here. You got no people. That's okay, I know I'm here. If I didn't know I'm here, oh my goodness, that's a, that's a good idea. Who starts a church without people? That's a good idea. Who never, why never think of that? And, what, and all these problems. And all, but as long as I know I'm here, man, nothing can shake me. When I put my head to bed at night, and know I'm here. And that's where all of us need to get to in life question for you is where are you on the path where are you on the path as you see i didn't give you a formula i didn't say you want an answer at work just do a b c and d it's not that's not it i'm talking about an ongoing relationship of life of understanding god's will for everything my character my relationships my decisions that i make every decision that i make my father has a will for me where are you on the path are you at the inspiration phase are you at the place where you're not feeling that inspiration i say Shake it up, because that's how it starts. You're never going to start off unless God has to start it off. And it's not a matter of me sit down and come up with a good idea. Oh, I think this could be God's will. It doesn't matter how it works. 
shake it up a little bit. Step out of your comfort zone. Give God a chance to work. And I promise you, he wants to reveal his will more than you want to understand it. And then once he does, and you hesitate, man, you step out in faith. And you say, okay, I do not know what awaits me, but I know God is with me, and God inspired me. I will take this step. So you take that step, uh-oh, bad guys all around. You'd be tempted to say, this is a bad idea, bad decision, retreat. But you say, no, I'm not going to retreat. I'm going to fight through it. Because I know if I fight through the inspiration, the hesitation, the temptation, I'll get to relaxation. And when I get there, I will prove this verse that I showed you in the beginning, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want all of us, before we die, this is the verse that I want my, my life to say this verse, that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and I'll never think otherwise, and I hope all of us can say that as well. Let's stand together for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you that you got big dreams for us. You don't just leave us alone, boring life, like average, mundane. We thank you that you're always trying to shake us up, to give us something great, and give us something better. I know the people who are standing here in this room today, Lord, you got great dreams and great plans for every single person in this room. That's why you brought them here today. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take like one step closer, one step closer to discovering that. If we're, in, if we're needing inspiration, Lord, I pray that you'd give us the discipline to step out of our comfort zone and you would inspire us and shake us up. If we're hesitating, Lord, because our logic is saying we don't know, I pray that you'd help us to overcome that logic and take a step of faith. If we're fighting adversaries or temptation of the devil to quit, I pray that you'd give us the courage and the strength to fight how we know we need to fight to reach that final stage, Lord, of knowing your will, being sure of your will, and being in the center of your will for our lives. We love you and we praise you. And we never stop to tell people how great you are, Lord. No matter what happens to us, we praise you. And we'll always tell people that you're the best. We have the best Father and the best God in the whole wide world. Accept our prayers this day in the name of our Lord and our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ with the prayers of all your saints. Here's as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, thanks again, everybody, for coming out.